Hey, welcome to Infused Church Online. My name is Taylor, and today we're in part three of our series, Creatures of Habit, where we're going to be talking about the most important thing when it comes to overcoming a habit, and then we're going to use that in an example to talk about an emotion that most of us don't realize as a habit, but is one of those things that can get so out of hand and how we can use a new pattern, a new habit to overcome it. I'm glad you're here. There are these things that we do sometimes uh, that maybe to others look funny. To us, we feel like maybe we're a little dumb. Uh, But the truth is, it's not either really of those. It's the fact that it's just a habit that we're in. That's what habits do. Um, They just kind of get away from us a little bit, because, um, and we'll talk about why, but, but because they're just a part of our brain um, that gets us into this routine and we don't realize it's happening, essentially we just operate on autopilot. Um, and there's benefits to that, but there's also some negatives to that uh, as well. Um, a good example, uh, at least in church world, especially if you grew up in church and you're real fam- familiar with this, uh, I'm going to give you a sentence and then I need, just need you to fill in the blank, okay? It's very difficult. I'm sure, you're, I'm sure it will be... Um, Well, let's just see how you do. Okay, you ready for this? Okay, here's the sentence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Yeah. Okay, now, just by a show of hands, and uh, this is not a judgmental thing, how many of you actually know why you put amen at the end of a prayer? Yeah, okay, maybe one person got it right. Okay, so there's like three of you that raised your hands and one person that yelled it. So, um, yes, because, why? Because amen is just part of our habit. It's part of our routine. In fact, I would challenge you, if you have an active prayer life, to just kind of go throughout your day. When you pray, just don't say amen. And part of you is going to sit there like, but I'm not done until I say amen. There's like that last little until I complete the routine. Because amen just turns out it's a habit. Now, amen actually means like, so it be, or so we believe. Um, There's a long history for it, but just know that it's like, that's what I believe. You can kind of tag that on the end. In Jesus' name I pray, because that's what I believe. That's a way of saying amen, all right? And these are habits that we have every day, whether it be in religion or in our daily lives. Habits control a lot of our lives. In fact, um, according to this book um, that I read for this series, and it was really nice of Pastor Mike to fill in for the last few weeks, and he read it too, um, and that's what I do. If, if you preach at Infuse, I ask you to read a lot of books before you preach. Just kidding, not all the time, but essentially the, uh, one of the things that um, we, we took away from the book that I thought was just really interesting is 40 to 45 percent of your day is nothing more than just a series of habits. That's your day. And you may not think about it, but there is parts of your day that just are on autopilot because they operate, as we've talked about, in this part of the brain. It's in fact a very, very old part of your brain um, called the basal ganglia. And it just kind of does things sometimes without us knowing. And that's why sometimes you and I forget if we showered that day. You're like, I think I showered. And then what do you do? to see if you showered that day, or did I brush my teeth that day? And so you kind of feel your teeth to figure out, do my teeth feel clean? Does my mouth feel clean? Or there's maybe in your life like an item, and and generally I know some of you are very forgetful people, but generally we have like one item that we forget like all the time. It's always that one thing, right? That is because when it comes to that item, there is a habit built around that that is, well, just a bad one. And so you leave it places where you don't intend to, and then you don't know where it is, and that's just a part of habit. Um, Your spouse, your spouse does things sometimes, and I know this might be surprising to you, um, but not to spite you, okay? They don't just leave the dishes on the counter or right next to the sink. 
not to spite you. It's just their habit. And so when you get frustrated with them, you are getting frustrated with one of the most oldest parts, most um, reluctant to change parts of the brain. And I'm not excusing your spouse's behavior, okay? I want you to hear me on that, okay? I'm just saying that that is what you're up against. And I really like uh, what Pastor Mike had us do last week, um, and that is to turn to your neighbor now and look them in the eyes. And if you don't have a neighbor, find someone, even if it's the back of their head, and look at them and say, you are a creature of habit. Okay? Look at your neighbor and say that. You are a creature of habit. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. On your way in, you told her that. Got it. Nice. Okay. Anyways, so um, I want to start off today by reviewing how habits work um, because maybe you missed a week so far in the series. You can always go online and catch up or, or go download our app and catch up. But the reason I want to go through it is to make sure we got a really solid understanding of how this works because if we don't, it's going to really um, uh, mean that today's message and the gist of today is going to kind of fall apart. So we need to review it um, because just in general, rule of thumb is that understanding something and understanding something better tends to give us control and influence and power into that something. Thing. And so if you understand how habits work, then you have the tools necessary, or at least the possibility of, overcoming habits and even changing and writing new habits. Okay, so this is how a habit works. Um, there's a loop to it. It begins right up here at the top with a cue, okay, and it says right here it kicks the brain into automatic mode. It tells it which habit to use. So essentially you can think of a big file uh, of habits that you have, and you hear uh, a word said or a certain series of events or maybe a time in the day, and your brain automatically goes to that files, files and files of habits and pulls that one out for that particular which then leads to a routine, which is a physical, mental, or emotional response to whatever is happening or that you're going to go through as a response to that cue. And then, generally speaking, there will be a reward at the end. And it isn't always like a little treat, okay? They can get really complicated for what a reward is, but somewhere in the midst of your habit, there is a reward because it reinforces then the cue. So, for example, at bedtime, some of you get to bedtime. I know this is me. That's why I'm telling you this. I get to bedtime, and even if I have forgotten and I get into bed, okay, and I'm comfy and I'm warm and I'm just ready to go to sleep, okay, I will sit there and think to myself, my brain kicks in and said, did you brush your teeth? And if I didn't, I feel just extremely compelled to get out of bed and go brush my teeth so when I go to bed, my mouth feels clean. Or maybe yeah, your cue is that you're bored, which means that you then eat, and your reward is a sugary treat. Okay? I didn't mean that for rhyme, to rhyme, but it did. Okay? Um, and so that is that, and then the reward reinforces the cue. That's how it works. Okay? Now, the problem most of us have to this is that we tend to focus more often than not in this category when it comes to overcoming our habits. Sometimes we'll venture into this as well, but most of the time we tend to focus on the reward. And essentially this is how we try to deal with our habits. We say, this reward is so good, but I know it's not good for me, especially over the long term, and so I need to stop it. And that's how we approach a habit. And the biggest challenge with this is if we look at our cycle here, we're already two-thirds of the way through this process. 
If you think of it as a hill, you are over the hill and you are on the downward slide. You barely have to do anything at this point. You can see down at the end of the hill the reward and it is just too easy. You're on so on autopilot at that point. It is really difficult for you to stop midway through here and say, I am not going to go so far as to get the reward, whatever that is for you. Maybe it is that boredom eating thing, okay? And so you're bored, and you get out the crackers and all that stuff, and you're about to eat it, and you think that's the point that your morality is going to kick in and say, well, that's probably not the smart thing to do. Not at all, right? You're going to eat all of that ice cream, okay? You're going to eat all of those chips. You're going to eat all of that chocolate, whatever it is for you. You may be alone in a line, like at Starbucks or the theater or at the DMV, okay? And it's just kind of uncomfortable, isn't it, to be alone somewhere and to not look like you have purpose and direction in your life, okay? So what do you get out? Your phone. Yes, thank you, first row. You get out your phone, and that is your routine. And your reward is that everybody around you looks like, oh my gosh, look at all the emails they have in their inbox. They must be so popular, right, as you go through that. Or look at all the Instagram photos and likes and all that jazz that, that they have, on, and they must be very important, okay? Some of you have deep, deep problems in your life, and when you're alone with your problems, you don't like that very much, and so that kicks you into the queue, which the routine is to drink a lot, which means you kind of forget about your problems, at least until you wake up in the morning, and that just reinforces the queue again. Or some of you feel, um, have an issue with uh, loneliness or just feeling unloved, and so you turn to things like the internet or just kind of play in the field relationally, because you always have to have someone on your arm so that you feel like you're worthy. You feel like you have someone there. That's a really big habit, but it is a habit. You're alone. Your routine is to find someone, and your reward is that you're not alone. This can play a significant role in your life, and the challenge is that you think you're going to have control somewhere in here, and I suggest to you that one of the best ways for you to overcome your habit is to start here. To start here. And this is a really big statement that I'm going to say, and it's a big statement because this is like 40-45% of your life, okay? But this is how it goes. One of the best ways to overcoming a habit or building a new habit is to honestly, because we are incredible creatures at justifying our decisions and our responses to challenges and things like that, but to honestly recognize the cue. Honestly, recognize the cue. I have a problem with this, and so I am going to recognize that, oops, I'm alone, so instead I'm going to find a different routine and reward than just going out and playing the field. Now, that is what I hope you will do, and that is kind of the gist of today's message. And so to kind of tease this idea out even more, I thought we should talk about a habit that we all have in common some of us more than others. But the thing about this habit is we don't technically think of it, generally speaking, as a habit. But it is a habit. In fact, it and other things like it are habits that play out every single day in our life. And of course, I'm talking about anger. Anger. To which your brain's probably sitting there like, oh, is that, that's a habit? That's like an emotion. Yes, but if you put it into the habit loop, and which we will, and then you can decide if it's a habit or not, but anger is a routine and sometimes even a reward 
for certain cues that you and I have in our life. In fact, emotions in general, as that diagram that we looked at just a bit earlier said, emotions can be routines. And I thought anger was actually a really good to, thing to talk, to talk about because um, sometimes it's my biggest problem, so I kind of know some things about it, uh, but also because it's an emotion, and if you think about this in terms of one emotion, you can kind of transfer it to other emotions. And number two, I thought we should talk about it because it's generally an emotion we don't handle well, okay? It's not something, in fact, not only do we not handle it well, I don't think we actually understand why we get angry. I would suggest to you, sometimes we really don't understand the root cue for our anger, we may say it's something, but it doesn't really get at the heart of it, so we'll talk about that. And number three, I don't think most of you actually like to be angry. Like, most of you don't sit there and say, wow, I'm just, I'm just really proud of how angry I got today. Just, just really proud at what I did and what I said when I was angry. Many of us rarely have thought to ourselves, ah, I am just having a really unproductive, stressful day, and so my response to improve productivity and to better my life is to get really, really angry. So I'm going to watch some really upsetting videos online and then get really angry because my productivity is just going to go through the roof when I'm angry. No, none of us have ever, more, more or less, sat there and said to ourselves, gosh, I just wish I could be more angry right now. So I thought, hey, let's talk about that, okay? So even and this sets us up for today's Bible passage, even um, 2,000 years ago, shocker, anger was an issue, um, and uh, it was kind of a big deal, not just because, well, anger is not great, uh, but it was a bigger deal because anger was having some negative effects, specifically 2,000 years ago, on the church. And that's kind of a big deal. If you're not familiar with Christianity, I'll tell you why, is because um, Jesus, though once in a while he did get angry, uh, generally speaking, did not teach anger as a solution to a problem. Usually, Jesus-like qualities include things like um, love and forgiveness and mercy and patience and a lot of the things that you are not when you are angry. Fair? And so Paul, this guy named Paul, who started a bunch of churches and wrote a lot of letters to these churches, heard that one church in particular was having an issue with anger, and so he needed to address it. Paul started a number of churches shortly after Jesus' um, death and resurrection for like the next couple decades after Jesus, started a bunch of churches, wrote letters to him, okay? We're going to look at one of those letters. So he heard the problem, and he wrote a, a letter to the church in Ephesus, um, and so we named the letter uh, Ephesians. And so if you go to your New Testament or the second half of your Bible when you get home, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, maybe you brought it today and you want to follow along, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and you can read Paul addressing the church and some of its issues, um, one of which being uh, anger, okay? And so to look at my super stylish map that I may or may not have just taken off Google Images, um, this is where Ephesus was, well, still is, technically. Uh, it's in modern-day Turkey, okay? And so Paul, these are some of the churches that Paul started, and so he wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, Paul was a really smart guy, okay? And he knew that part of the problem in Ephesus, as it is today, is that their argument for getting angry was, well, everybody else does too, okay? And haven't you been in an argument with someone especially close to you, and uh, they got angry, and so what did you do? You got angry too, 
and you didn't consciously think about it, but let's be honest, the reason you did is because, well, if they got angry, I'm going to get angry too. And I think oftentimes that's our argument more than we think. In fact, that's our cue and routine sometimes in certain habits more than we think. And so he begins, Paul begins um, this section in Ephesians, specifically chapter 4, um, and he says, essentially makes the argument that that is not a good argument to make. Essentially, you cannot just get angry because, well, everybody else doesn't. Because everybody else doesn't, doesn't make a wrong or right. And so here's how he kind of begins uh, his letter. He says, that, however, that argument of, well, everybody else does it, everybody else believes this, everybody else is doing it. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. This is essentially your mama telling you, I thought I raised you better, okay? I thought I taught you better. That's what Paul is doing here, okay? And he goes on, that, however, is not the way you learned. When you heard about Christ, when you heard about Jesus, and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, Okay, in other words, he's saying the problem is you're living with everyone else's truth, and that is not necessarily the right thing to do. You're living with everybody else's version of right and wrong, but that is not actually the version of right and wrong that you should be living with. That, yes, you were at a party, and everybody else had a soda because it was free, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing for you to get to. Yes, everyone else is kind of consumed with accumulating wealth, more and more and more and more wealth, personal wealth, things, money, possessions. But that doesn't necessarily mean you should do it. It doesn't necessarily mean it will bring you happiness. Yes, everyone else went out and partied hard last night, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was the best thing for you to do. Really, even for them, probably wasn't the best thing for them. Yes, everybody else looks at their phone all the time. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's right for you to look at your phone all the time. Paul's point is, considering the topic of habits, there is a way that you have learned about Jesus and in Jesus that is good and true, and then there's a way everybody else does it. And maybe, maybe, even if you're not a Jesus follower, you would consider today what it would mean like to build your habits around what Jesus' truth is and the, what you learned and were taught in Jesus than in the rest of the world. He goes on. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self and your old habits and your old routines, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And I love this deceitful desires. One, because like, well, you don't often say it and it's kind of like pointed, but deceitful desires. I mean, because isn't it true that you have habits in your life, bad habits in your life, where you go through them and it may feel good, that reward feels good for maybe the first five, ten maybe an hour even, and then after that you just feel bad, and you feel guilty, and you know you shouldn't have, but you did, and you wish you could have stopped it, but you didn't. That's a deceitful desire. You desired it, you got it, but in the end it didn't actually bring you life and truth and love that you desired. And so he says, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. As it relates to the truth of Jesus, this is something that may be, for most of us, new. And it's something that's going to begin to reshape your mind. And it will be difficult. Anytime you go from something old to something new, generally speaking, 
there is a learning curve. There is a growth curve to that, and it will be difficult. In fact, we know it'll be difficult because we have an expression. Old habits die hard, yes. It will be difficult, but you have to get rid of the old self so that the new attitude can begin to change your life. He goes on, he says, and to put on the new self created to be like God. So essentially the goal is the the habits that we're trying to shoot for are those that are more like God than not. That, That we look at the things in our lives, the cues in our lives, and we say, is that like God? The routines that we then do in response to those cues, and we say, well, is that very God-like? When we are confronted with those TV commercials that are, um, or, or TV news shows or, or whatever that are just exceptionally frustrating to us, and a response or routine is to get angry, maybe we need to time out and say, well, that, that's not very God-like. Or, or your group of friends. I mean, they're good people deep, deep down, but what they choose to do with their weekends and weeknights are probably not the best, and so maybe you too need to stop following that because those cues and habits that you're building by following them will not bring you the life that you desire, and instead maybe find something more like God. And I'm not letting the church people slide on this either, because don't get me wrong, there are church people and church habits, okay, that are not very like God. And even in those, we have to step back and say, um, is that really the best way to go? Is that how we do it? Case in point, you say all amen, and you don't even know why. And sometimes we have to step back. That was a huge part, at least in my faith journey, of stepping back and saying, why do we do this again? And understanding and building it from the ground up. So, like God is the goal. And then Paul, after setting this all up, like old, do away with the old, recognizes it's going to be difficult, and then we have to build habits that are like God. Paul starts going through this big list, and you can go home and read it in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm just going to skip ahead to the the part that's about anger, okay? Um, Because we don't have time to get through it all today. But So anger is where he goes to in this list, one of them he goes to in this list. And he quotes um, Psalms chapter 4, verse 4, I think. Um, But he says this, in your anger, do not sin. To which some of us like, oh, sin, that's a hard one for me. It's uncomfortable. I grew up in a church where the pastor stands up and says, you're a sinner. Stop, 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 stop. You're a sinner. You're going to go to hell. You need to accept Christ. That whole um, spiel, which don't get me wrong, there's there's truth in that for sure. but, But we have a reluctance. We have a reluctance and avoidance of sin. And Paul's saying, if you want to understand anger, you also have to confront the issue that comes out of anger, which is sin. Which sin is to miss the mark with God. It's actually an archery term. That, that if you missed the mark in your shot, you would have sinned. And it's the same thing with God. If you miss the mark of loving like God loves and not being God-like, you are sinning. And so when you sin... Not surprisingly, bad things tend to come from it. And, so, and, 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 um, and Paul's trying to get at the fact that anger often puts us in a mindset that we're not exactly proud of. We said that at the start, right? There's not great decision-making. There's not great words that come out of our, our mouths. There's not great behaviors that follow anger. And oftentimes, when we get angry, we're only focused on one person, and that's us, and how we feel. 
And anytime we really start to focus inwardly on ourselves, we really ride the fine line between loving like God loves and loving like the world loves or loving like we wish in our anger to be loved. So let's get out our cue loop and talk through this. Our cue loop, okay? So the cue is something we don't like. And I want to suggest to you, okay, and this might be a kind of a game changer for how you see anger, okay? But that your anger routine, your anger is a result of a specific cue, one specific cue. And, and if you don't agree, that's okay. Just take it home and chew on it. But here's what I want to suggest to you, is that your anger is usually cued by a sense, ultimately, of helplessness. That your cue is simply a matter of feeling helpless. Now, it could manifest in different ways. For example, you could be watching a show, and you could be seeing something happening in the other parts of, of the world, and you could look at that, and you could say, ah, oh, that's just like such a degree of injustice and unfairness, and, and you feel that anger rising up inside of you, like nobody likes to see pictures of war, nobody likes to see pictures of death, and, and you just want to be like, hey, that is not cool. I am angry about that. But what is happening at the root? You just feel helpless to do anything. Maybe someone is, is um, mean to you or mean to someone else, and you watch it happen. What do you feel? Ultimately, in that moment, you feel helpless. The attack has already been, been, uh, been thrown out there, right? I mean, they already threw it out at you. And you kind of sit there, and you're like, wow, that, that hurt. I'm frustrated. Now, how am I going to respond? You feel ultimately helpless. Maybe your spouse made a decision or a series of decisions, and, and it's a done deal. You didn't have a choice in it. You sat there, and you felt ultimately helpless. And therefore, you began your routine of getting angry. Or a coworker, or a boss did something that was unfair to you or others, and you just felt a bit out of your control. You feel out of control, so you regain control. So to regain control, you get angry. Because what is one way you can quickly get the attention of everyone in the room? Get really, really angry. Everybody quiets down, don't they? And they all turn and they look. And what's going to happen now? And you commanded the control of the room. And your reward for that cue routine, your reward is what? To regain control. You feel like you've gained the upper hand maybe back if you can get angrier than the other person. You don't back down. And your anger begins to force, force, force the other person to conform to the way you want it. And your reward is at least a sense, maybe reality is not the case, but the sense of control and the removal of that feeling of helplessness. Now, often, not always, but often, the road to get there, that routine of anger, has a bit or a lot of sin in it because it's all about you. Now you say, well, yeah, but it's, but it's what I saw and what they did and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're trying to make it all about you. In the process of regaining control, you're trying to pull everybody into your sphere of influence, to your way, and to your authority. And their needs and desires don't matter anymore. It's just you. And that, my friends, is not exceptionally 
loving your neighbor. And that's why Paul said, you shouldn't sin, or you shouldn't be angry, because it will lead to sin. It is such an easy road to sin. Do not let the sun go down. You may have heard this before, while you are still angry. That's just a great rule of thumb. Doesn't always happen. Doesn't have to happen that way. I'm just saying that if you can calm down enough, Paul, or Paul's saying you can calm down enough, it will hopefully begin to bring balance back to the situation and take it off you. Do not go angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Why? Because with anger comes sinful, de- sinful behavior or evil, you just dropped the D off of it, evil behavior. We're, I mean, let's be honest, we've all in our anger gotten snarky. We've all gotten hypocritical. We all have gotten judgmental. Evil starts to find its way into it, and it's like, well, Taylor, I don't know if I believe in the devil, and that's just a whole different level, and I get that. Um, So maybe it would help you. The translation of this word in ancient Greek is uh, diablos. It's kind of a cooler way to say it, so if it makes you feel better, you can say, give the diablos a foothold, okay? Um, Which essentially just means adversary, but that's essentially the point, because when you start going around getting angry and sinning and all that kind of stuff and just making it all about you and all that stuff, it derails everything. The, the train gets off the track, and you begin to give harm and hurt and pain and suffering a foothold into your relationships. Which brings us back to the key verse of this whole series, if you've been following with us the last two weeks, is this verse from Romans. It's a verse that's very, very popular if you grew up in church especially. Do not conform to the pattern, the routines, the habits of this world. Because guess what? Everybody gets angry. And so you can sit there and say, well, everybody gets angry, my spouse gets angry, my kids get angry, and so therefore, well, I can just get angry too. You can conform to that pattern. You can. Or you could be transformed by the renewing, the newness, not the old way, not the world way, the newness of your mind that, as Paul said back in Ephesians, is found when you follow Jesus, when you trust Jesus with the situation, when you trust Jesus with that cue that makes you feel so helpless. And so my encouragement, my hope for you is that you'll leave here today, and if anger is your issue, you'll really consider this, and you'll really buckle down on this, but you'll take time to recognize the cue. Recognize your blood pressure coming up. Recognize that when you turn on that news, when you listen to that podcast, or you look through Facebook, there's going to be some posts that get your blood pressure going. Know that you are letting yourself get queued up almost as if like a ball on a tee and that anger is just ready to swing you out of the park. You have a decision to make. Are you going to go with the old way or are you going to take yourself off the tee? Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, there's not a ton of options. I mean, you can use this and try to rebuild routines and, and, and that's, that's your option, okay? And one of them I would recommend is you begin a cue and then a routine of stepping back for 20 minutes because depending on what research you read, it takes at least about 20 minutes for all the uh, emotions and chemicals in your body when you start to get angry to subside and for you to kind of think level-headed and blood pressure come on down, all that stuff. You can go that way. But if you're a Jesus follower, if Jesus is who you follow, then you need to follow Jesus's truth. And so, I want to just give you some really practical ideas to consider as you consider what happens when you're queued up. 
especially when anger is knocking at the door in response to feeling helpless, okay? So we're going to do a little bit of a truth assessment, okay? A little truth assessment for yourself. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you, you just need to, as honestly as you can, as personally reflective as you can, think about this. Easy to focus on your personal truth, easy to focus on the world's truth, easy to focus on the old way and your anger, and I'm inviting you to consider God's God-like way, a Jesus-like way, God's truth way. Okay, I'm going to start really practically, okay? Here's the first question. How out of control is the situation, and because I think we need a little help, really? Like, really? On the scale of, like, I bumped my funny bone and that really hurt, and it's frustrating, because I get it. It hurts, and it is frustrating. And, like, the apocalypse really, how out of control is the situation? Like, I understand your kids are, are crazy wild. It's out of control. I get it. And you're feeling helpless because the kids have been out of control now for about three and a half hours, and it is just pushing the helpless meter, okay? Maybe you need to recognize that you are still alive to even be dealing with these cues, and your kids, obviously, because they're so wild, are fairly healthy. And that, it will not break the dishes if they sit on the sink, counter, or in the sink, okay? Now, I recognize it will also not break the dishwasher to put the dishes in the dishwasher and to run it. I get it, okay? I'm just saying, how out of control is the situation really? And to honestly, yes, don't, don't hit your spouse, um, and honestly recognize how quickly it will be for you to fall into the habit if you let the cue go. Next question, right? And this may be a follow-up question to, depending on how you answer the first question, who is Lord, creator of the universe? Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, this is like, oh, I don't even know. But if you are a Jesus follower, I just want to ask you, okay, who is Lord, creator of the universe? You are like creator of your own little world. He is creator of the universe. Now, you have a choice. You can put it all on your shoulders, and you can essentially put yourself on the top of that T and ready to get queued up to that anger routine. But you can also realize it doesn't have to be that way because you are not the Lord of the universe. And it is not all on your shoulders. And you are not all alone. And I realize it is a big mess. And I realize the situation that maybe you have in mind, I get it, that it's probably one of these things that will have lasting, maybe even years and years-long consequences. And it is really easy to feel helpless when you know this will have years, decades of implications for what's going on. A big mess. But you can also consider in that moment of being queued up that your Father in heaven Father in heaven is Lord, creator of the universe. And in the scale of the universe, maybe, maybe, I'm not telling you what you have to believe, I'm just inviting you to consider that maybe it'll be okay. Next question. This is a little more intense, okay? Could be a little bit of a gut check. Is the target of my anger a child of God? Is the target of my anger a child of God? And if there is a person on the other side of your anger, the answer is yes. They are a child of God. 
And so if you're really comfortable, like, letting it all go on God's child, okay, and potentially upsetting God, go for it. But if you think God might care how you treat his children, just as he cares how people treat you, consider whether it is worth living in the old routine, the old habits, or perhaps inviting Jesus in a new routine into your life. And finally, the last one is, will my anger help me love this person better? Will my anger help me love this person better? And I know it is easy to say, well, of course not. Okay, but you're probably going to get angry in the next month. And there's probably going to be a target at the end of your anger. And so I just want you to ask yourself this question. Maybe you need to take a picture of it, write it down, set a reminder on your phone so it just comes up. And knowing God and sometimes his humor, it'll probably pop up on your phone that moment when it's all about to go crazy. And you're going to have a choice to ask yourself, will my anger help me to love this person, to live out this great com- uh, the great commandment well? Now, don't get me wrong. People, there are people in this world who have done great things, which was catalyzed by what I call, and this is a whole other sermon, but righteous anger. This is anger with the intent of bringing justice and love to the world. Great nonprofits, great organizations, great churches with people who are brokenhearted and righteously angry about a situation. But for those things, groups, organizations, whatever, those missions, whatever, to sustain for the long term, it cannot be built on anger. Anger will not sustain it and will not sustain you for the long term. It has to move into a place of loving people for it to be sustainable. You have to get up on stage, or you have to build an organization or help those in need, not because you're angry about the injustice. That will not get you through year five and ten. And I can tell you at least it will not get you through year four, that far at least. What will get you through is your love for other people. That's why God sent his son to earth to love it, to love each and every one of us. That's why Jesus, while his son was here, said to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And in so doing, he began a new commandment. He began a new life, a a lifestyle, a new path, a new way to live your life, and that is following him and building healthy habits around him, not around the old self, which, again, let's be honest, we don't even want or desire. And that is my hope for you. And I think that's Paul's hope for the church in Ephesus. And if he was still alive, would probably be his hope for you as well. To not be consumed by that uncontrollable habit of getting angry or that uncontrollable habit of you fill in the blank, but instead of pursue a new life, a life in love and hopefully following God's Son, Jesus. So let me uh, invite you to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray for you, sing a song, get you out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you uh, for Paul. 
Paul's faith, Paul's story, and Paul's decision to start churches and speak to those churches. And for these letters, like the church, um, or the letter to uh, the church in Ephesus, to be preserved for thousands of years, that we could read and at least know and have the option to consider what this new life would look like, these new habits would look like, and maybe even, Lord, to be a little bit convicted that there is a better way, a, a better way to live our lives, a better truth to follow that will snap us out of the 45% of our lives that's just a routine on autopilot, will, will bring us to a place of building new habits, new, a new life around the love of God. And, and the love that we experience in God's likeness. And the love that we give to others in God's likeness. So Lord, I just pray for everybody here and invite them to pray for everybody here as well as themselves. And just that we would pray that you would help us, whether it be through people in our lives, through our church community, through our own decision making, to consider and pursue whatever that looks like, wherever we are in our faith journey, to consider and pursue you and pursue the answers and the truth that come and can only come from you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Give us the strength and the courage and whatever we need to live this out. In your name I pray. Amen. So my hope for you this week is that you'll consider what it looks like to recognize the cues that lead to behaviors and choices and emotions that maybe you're not too fond of. And maybe that's anger, and maybe today's message can really help you to rein in your pattern of behavior when it comes to anger or anything else. That is my prayer for you this week, and I hope to see you next week for the conclusion of this series.